First things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. I'm Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. Mr. Paul Ripp of the Ripp Report is here with us today, and my partner, Rains Rushing, is joining us from Houston, Texas today. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Number 12. Number 12. How you doing, Rains? I'm making it out. I've uh, been in uh, Washington, D.C. this past week, checking out the impeachment hearings. Uh, it's been a fun time for me. <laughs> they let you in the building? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say let, but I was I was, I was there for a portion. Yeah. All right, Paul. Paul's going to get us started today with a, a, a few uh, house housekeeping items from the RIP report. Yeah, report, Paul. some consumer issues. Uh, this is a court of public opinion, the only court in Baldwin County where you have a voice. And a couple of things I wanted to go over that are uh, consumer issues. One is you've seen these home insurance uh, warranties. A lot of times real estate agents will suggest on a new purchase that you get this on your home 90 days, 120 days. Some people have it that cover it all the time. One thing that you need to realize here in the South is that on the air conditioning units, you can have what they call a mismatched unit, and that means that your inside AC may be rated at a three ton and your out your handler on the inside at a three ton and your outside insurance uh, uh, air conditioner be a two and a half ton. Well, in the small print of some of these warranty companies, they say they will cover the, the air conditioner only if it is a matched system. Now, that's what they normally do up north, California, places like that. In the south, they mismatch So, if you got a three-ton unit inside, you need a three-ton air handler inside. Uh, 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 correct. If if on certain home warranty policies. So, you need to check your home warranty policy. And they're policy, saying if there's a mismatch, that, that they will cover it. So, you know, boom, you got a claim, and then all of a sudden you find out you weren't covered and you're paying for it anyway. The other thing is... Um, uh, recently, I tried to help someone, advocated for someone uh, on a car title. And, you know, in Foley particularly, there's a lot of car lots. Uh, a lot of these are very, very legitimate lots. However, sometimes they're getting cars on consignment and the titles get mixed up. Never buy a car if you don't or you're not going to get the title. And um, uh, the next thing, of course, we've gone over this before, and I'll come back to it again and again, is <clears throat> always have an attorney, always hire an attorney to go to court. Because if you don't, and you'll see in some of the conversations that we have, you're going to pay for it uh, in the end. Also, if you're hiring an attorney, you, you're the client. So when you talk to, with the attorney, make sure that you understand what the fees are up front, what you're getting into and what you can expect from him and always demand an itemized uh, or, uh, or her or her or her. And one of the other things that I have witnessed that uh, uh, really turned me off the most, and this was in the family court section, is where people would go to court and they're literally about to walk into court and the attorney give them an ultimatum of, well, I need another 1500 before we go in uh right now uh that's unacceptable you should have that covered before in your original negotiations on how you're paying them uh so on and so forth um so 
those are, you know, things that you should do to protect yourself. Another consumer issue, but on a little bit larger scale, are some of the tenants of the uh, wharf. We've heard from them again. Some are pro, some are con. However, the um, uh, consumer needs to be aware that at the wharf, you have a real estate agent and, again, an attorney that's working at the wharf. They work for the wharf. When you sign a lease, you're, you are signing that lease. The real estate agent is telling you one thing, and the attorney is telling you another. You better be sure. What I would suggest is go to the uh, tenants. Now, they've had a lot of uh, controversy down there at the wharf. On the cowgirl site on Facebook, you can go and you can see a lot of the public comments of a from from people that have been affected by uh, getting into long-term leases there. And the only thing I'll comment about that is Alabama is a right-to-contract state. Be careful what contracts you sign. Correct. And always take them to another, to another attorney and have them reviewed so that you understand the terms of what you're agreeing to. In a lot of cases, a lot of these leases, you may find yourself – you find people that uh, – Say they're going out of business, they go out of business, they notify them in a particular incident down there at the wharf. The, the real estate commission for one site was $80,000. Then when the people couldn't make it, they went out of business and everything, they found themselves in court being sued for the $80,000 that was paid to the real estate agent. And they put someone in that site within six to eight months, and I may stand to be corrected on that, but it was a very short period of time. So they're holding your foot to the fire for the details of that lease. Buyer beware. Uh, the next thing is we are working uh, the RIP Report and Baldwin County Legal Legal, as well as the Backstory Podcast, are working with the Baldwin County Children's Foundation and we're going to be working with them on a project with family court, trying to help people that are getting into the family court system. We're going to see if we can't come up with something where we uh, give some advice to these people before they get into the court system. And we'll have much more on that later on. Harry? Well, you skip one. What's that? I think you did. Uh, weren't you going to talk about the Mobile Baykeepers? Oh yes, yes, I pick them up truck. Oh yes, I have to talk about that. You, uh, I want to see if everybody else thinks that I'm crazy about this, or they are. Uh, there was a uh, social media post, and it was uh, by Baykeeper, and it had a picture of Cassie Callaway, the director for Baykeepers, and she's sitting there with two young people in front of a pickup truck. And the caption is, Thank you, Baldwin County Sewer Services, for donating their truck to us. We will be using it to take our SWIM, where it's monitored, SWIM, S-W-I-M, samples, which means samples, track down, sewage spills, and more. We're grateful that Baldwin County Sewer is investing in Mobile Baykeeper to ensure we reach our mutual goal for clean water and sewage-free Mobile Bay. I'm telling you, I had to scratch my head on this one. I replied this way. 
Baykeepers needs to read the straw man series in the Lanyap about Baldwin County sewer services and the blatant corruption that is involved. I hope Baykeeper also realizes that Baldwin County has no sewer regulations. The only county in Alabama. The main reason we have no sewer regulations is the lobbying of Baldwin County Sewer Services, uh, who is preventing the regulations. So when you take those samples, it's like, it's like North Korea giving a tank to UNICEF. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, you're going to take samples. You're going to take samples when there's no sewer regulations. I think you're supposed to do the regulations first, and then you take the samples. Well, let's be clear about that. They are regulated by ADEM when they discharge their effluent. But from when you flush the commode until it goes out of the sewer treatment plant, nobody knows what's happening between the flush and the discharge of effluent. Correct. And if Baykeepers wants to do a monumental favor for the Baldwin County people, then they will get behind, call the legislative delegation and say, look, we need sewer regulations and also uh, uh, push the county commission for that as well. All right. Let's talk about the conflict of interest and the canons of judicial ethics. Okay. <clears throat> the canons of judicial ethics are. Um, do you Al have that? Do you have yeah. that for us? Uh, the Alabama canons for judicial <laughs> ethics that, uh, and again, we'll be coming on some other articles that this is related to. There's seven canons. Uh, the first one: a judge should uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary. Number two: a judge should avoid improper imp impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all of his actions. A judge should perform the duties of his office impartially and diligently. A judge may engage in activities to improve the law, the legal system, and the administration of justice. A judge should regulate his extrajudicial activities to minimize the risk of conflict with his judicial duties. A judge should regularly file reports of his financial interest. And last, a judge or a judicial candidate shall refrain from political activity inappropriate to judicial office. Uh, <clears throat> we have used these canons before, made complaints about Judge Michelle Thomason on three of the seven violations. And we means the RIP report. That means the RIP report. Okay. And uh, the RIP report also, uh, we link this canons of judici judicial ethics and the conflict of interest to a Fairhope case that is coming up right now. But uh, do you want to cover... Conflict of interest? No, or? sir. I, I'd like for you to cover the court of private opinion. The court of public opinion? Court of private opinion. Oh, <clears throat> all right. Court of, in our, uh, in our, one of our Lanyap series this weekend, Lanyap is the court of, of private opinion written by Mr. Gabriel Times. And this is uh, in the series, and as I understand it, they, uh, Lanyap is going to put the entire straw man series into a series to where somebody can read it uh, one article after the other, which is huge. But uh, this is a, uh, a 
judicial complaint, a judicial inquiry commission complaint that has been, been fire, filed against Judge Joseph Norton. And this goes right back to the straw man series and the uh, uh, Baldwin County sewer. Here we're talking about Baldwin County sewer again and all of the corrupt activities that happened in this. And this judicial inquiry is uh, has already been fire, filed. Uh, the judicial... <coughs> Uh, inquiry commission is part of the Alabama's two-tier judicial conduct system and is an independent agency with the authority to initiate or receive complaints filed by any aggrieved person concerning allowed violations by a judge of Alabama canons of judicial ethics, which we just mentioned, which is misconduct in judicial office, failure to perform judicial duties, or inability to perform judicial duties because of physical or mental disabilities. Uh, Yet, I do want to preface the fact that, again, you know, we have mentioned in the past, RIP report, that judicial complaints, bar complaints, ethics complaints, real estate complaints, ABC complaints, (laughs) all seem to fall on pretty much uh, deaf ears. And in uh, fiscal year 2018, there were 100 and these complaints are heard by the uh, JIC every eight weeks. Uh, during the year 2018, it received 150 complaints while carrying over 24 complaints from the previous year. Of those complaints, 170, 174 complaints. So 132 were dismissed without investigation, while another 18 were dismissed after the completion of an investigation. So that would be 132, 42, 52, 150. So clearly 150 cases out of 174 went nowhere. How about this, Reigns? I call the Judicial Inquiry Commission, and I say – and I just simply asked. I was like, uh, I, I know it's a, I know it's a closed uh, uh, pro- procedure, but um, can you tell me how many complaints a particular judge has against them? We can't tell you that. Well, I seem to have misplaced a uh, complaint that I filed. Can I get a copy of a complaint that I filed? No, sir. Anything you turn into us becomes confidential upon receipt. So, so you can't wow. even get a copy of something that you submitted to them or get a count. I mean, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to know? And isn't it something that the taxpayers and voters should know about? If you got a judge that's looking at reelection and you're trying to weigh your options, I think it would be important to know how many judicial inquiry complaints a particular judge had against them. At least that's something that would play into my thought process when I was making a decision about pulling a lever or, right. or bubbling. Well, and, and in the same well, article, the complaint also includes a reporting by Lanyap about the case where Norton's potential conflict of interest in the Bass case and others and reporting on his financing, including state ethics disclosure forms, indicating that after six years on the bench, Norton still is earning between fifty and $150,000 a year from his former law partner, Brian Britt, for what were listed as referral fees. Neither Britt nor Norton have answered any questions specifically as to what cases and where that money came from. Uh, a review of ethics disclosure forms indicates that Judge Norton is the only judge in Mobile and Baldwin County receiving these type of payments 
from a former law firm. So there, it's very, uh, very, very controversial. This is, again, this is conflict of interest, judicial ethics. We'll be coming right back to that in just a second. Go ahead, Harry. All right, so I want to talk about another Lanyap article called Bringing Out Your Dead. Um, the county coroner is looking to expand his office and elevate staff. Citing an ever-increasing caseload and limited space in his office, the 10-year-old in the 10-year-old Robertsdale facility, first-term Baltimore County Coroner Brian Pierce, is seeking to move his department to a larger facility, classify staff as full-time. And uh, so, so we, the the real bad idea in in this whole scheme is um, that he is at, he wants the county commission to declare his positions full-time. To do that, he's going to have to get uh, some general. Uh, a general law of local application. Um, he wants the pay scale to be set uh, as they are for deputies. Uh, the twist is that he's exploring the possibility of having the coroner staff be governor by the sheriff's personnel department. So, Reigns, did, did you realize the only person in Alabama who can arrest the sheriff is the coroner? Absolutely. It's the same in Mississippi and in uh, Texas. Uh-huh. The Constitution also says... I become sheriff after the sheriff cannot fulfill their duties, Pierce said, adding that in reality, it wouldn't take the governor very long to appoint someone new. It's just one of those things that are on the books. It's one of those things that are on the books as a fail-safe, and it's a really great idea, and to put the coroner under the sheriff's office is almost as asinine as the sheriff creating his own MCU so that his own people can investigate a shooting his officers were involved in. That's beyond a conflict of interest. So I, absolutely, I, and just and just to just so you know, Range, you missed the, you missed the last show. So, so since um, and uh, so uh, Sheriff Huey Mack has yet to chime in on whether he thinks it's a bad idea or not. Of course, it wouldn't be in print unless he was for it. Since 2011, he's increased his budget by $7 million uh, and even has his own personnel department. Now, here's here's something interesting, and Paul's going to like this because he doesn't particularly like this guy. Um, State Senator Chris Elliott's wife, guess where she works? Sheriff's Department. In the personnel department for the Sheriff's Department. Um let me see if there was anything else in this article that I wanted to point out. But, um, if you recall, every time they rattled the saber about, uh, and this is something else you wouldn't know about, but um, back Trump was talking about putting illegal aliens down here at a disused, um, it's called Wolf Field. It's a Navy training well, base that's disused. So guess who fuels the jet and flies to, to D.C.? to tell, the, I guess, the president. I don't know who the hell they met with. But anyway, they all get so is, so is Dorsey, uh, who's involved in the straw man article that we've been talking about. Um, then there's uh, uh, former Commissioner Elliott, now State Senator Elliott, and the sheriff. And I'm just thinking, what a waste of money. And I think I even commented on Facebook at the time that it was just a monumental waste of money or whatever. So anyway, you can see how, how, how all these people are – interrelated and um it, it was it was a waste of money but it also was a waste of income because they were going to pay a phenomenal amount of money to house and get those people uh organized there and it also was a uh 
what they were what they were wanting to do with the immigrants was that was going to be a position where they would come to be picked up. Well, let me let me just put it to you this way: we have a house pretty close to there, <clears throat> Josephine. Yeah, there are no utilities. It'd take months to get water, power to facilitate, just, just to have just to make it into a minimal facility yeah, like Joe Apolitano out in Arizona would, where he'd house people. Yeah, but so the government a, loves to spend money on stuff. Like well, that. <laughs> that, that's not the kind of jobs we need in this uh, area. I can promise you that. Yeah. Um. So rains. Are you aware that the Porch Creek Indians have a proposal for the state of Alabama related to gambling? I am. And how can you lose with a plan called Alabama is winning? <laughs> when we've been losing so long. We are now well, that we are now so, the only we are now totally surrounded by states with lotteries. We are exporting absolutely. we are exporting our dollars uh, weekly to support other states and their lotteries. So I'm going to say this. We don't need the Indians to do any of this stuff, okay? The problem is I think they might be the only people with the stroke. If they get what they want, just maybe we'll get an education lottery that I've been advocating for all my adult life. So, well, absolutely. Here, here's the, let me speak to that. Um, first of all, the, the Ports Creek Indians proposal does not include – any kind of mechanisms for a state lottery. It just pledges that they would support a legislative referendum for a state lottery. Correct. And by support, that means that they would contribute to those campaigns um, and support the politicians who were in favor of it. Because you had a vote on that back in April, and it passed the Senate, but it went nowhere in the House. It didn't get out of committee in the House. Um, not as far as, as putting the lottery on the 2020 ticket as a constitutional referendum. Uh, the Porch Creek Indians proposal is to monopolize state gaming right. and in turn support the lottery. Now, I've got mixed feelings on a lottery. Uh, my son, being the brilliant 10-year-old that he is, once explained to me that he figured out that a lottery is just a tax on people that don't understand math. <laughs> and True that. I can get my head around that. I mean, Mississippi, once again, beating Alabama to the punch, you know, their lottery tickets go on sale Monday. And not this Monday, but Monday next. But they made a concession that said uh, they wouldn't allow electronic lottery ticket purchase. And that's a concession to the coast and the northern casinos because they want people still going to the casinos to play stuff, but they're going to have a paper lottery. Now, another thing that you'll find if you look next door to Mississippi is that their lottery is not specifically earmarked for education. Everybody always wants an educational lottery, but the Mississippi lottery first year is structured so the 80% of the forecasted income for that first year, which I think, according to my notes, around $100 million, will go to infrastructure. And anything above that will go to the education fund. So do y'all already have uh, earmarks for for education with your current gaming, like uh, the sports books? Any any of that stuff? Absolutely. That the, the, the casino gaming, the casino gaming revenue all goes to general fund and to certain departmental allocations in Mississippi. There is no specific earmark for education. However, there is in the state budget a provision where. 
school school monies can be dispersed from the general fund, and that was a separate vote they had on that many, many, many years ago um, regarding casino gaming. And this law and the the new Mississippi lottery legislation just shoehorns right into that, where it says the the state office of budget can pull and allocate funds to the school fund from the general fund, whereas before they weren't allowed to do that. They had to operate with their own funds. All right, so let me let me jump in here for a second. Uh, I'm just going to read to you from the article a quarter. According to the Ports Creek Indians' own estimates, its plans would send about a billion dollars to state coffers in the first year, mostly from a $725 million in exclusive gaming licenses and a, a projected $350 million in annual revenue shelling, uh, shares from new facilities and expanded gaming operations that those already operated. So here's something you probably don't know because you're from out of state range. We have three, um, are they dog tracks? Lowndes County, shorter. Yeah, and the, I'm, I'm familiar with. Them. Okay, so we so we have three gaming facilities that the that the Porch Creek Indians their structured deal would close those, and the Correct. reason that they were put in those places was there it's you know it's the black belt man. There's no there's no there's nothing for anybody to do. It was economically depressed, so they did it as an economic development initiative putting millions of dollars into these facilities and now they're just going to close. So I don't know who it's a good deal for. Um, it's, it's certainly a good deal for the Porch Creek Indians. I don't know if it's going to prove to be a good deal it, for us. It is a good deal for the Porch Creek Indians because they're the thing that, that you've got to really take into consideration is strategy versus tactics. And right now, your state's playing taxes and the tactics, and the Port Creek Indians are playing strategy. It's checkers versus chess. Correct. The state says we don't want these gaming facilities to close down because uh, I believe one of your representatives was quoted saying, "You know, a lot of people have put hundreds of millions of dollars into the infrastructure of these gaming sites. Horse hockey that ain't a hundred million dollars in any dog track anywhere, not even in three of them. Yeah. All right, I'm here to tell you that right now." And the the people from those districts are part of the coalition that blocked the bill coming out of committee in the House, in the State House of Alabama. Because, of course, those, those are tough spots. And if those places close, they're going to lose what? Even a big dog. I got a big dog track about 20 minutes from here, and they don't employ the 300 people. And that's on event days. Most of them are temporary staff. Are you going to lose those under this deal? Yeah. yeah, but does the state win out in the long run? Absolutely, because the Porch Creek Indians under this compact they're proposing are offering up a 25% revenue share. That's not a tax. Yeah, but... They're going to spend that money straight away, a 25% revenue share. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't going to be a billion dollars a year. It's going to be maybe 70 to $100 million a year. Okay, but let's... But, but they said up too. I think that the institution that you spoke to us last time you know i said we don't have a gaming commission here in alabama but you mm -hmm. said that there was another regulatory agency Correct. at the federal the level federal indian gaming commission yeah. okay they have to agree to the percentage that's no guarantee they're going to agree to 25 percent. they may say no we're, we're not going to prove that we're, we're capping it at 10 percent. so we're I agreeing think, again, to a deal where we don't know the details again though this is checkers versus chess the the, the Indians can say 25% of revenue, but they also aren't under any kind of federal law that says we have to have transparent revenue reporting. Or that we can come audit you. Correct. So they could just, they could say, hell yeah, 25, hell, we'll give you 
and they can lock it in. But there's no federal or state oversight that can look into the books of that gaming group and say, all right, well, you said you've given us $30 million this year. Did you make $100 million? And the, the Port Creek Indians could say, yeah, we did, but you can't come in and audit the books and so say that. Now, it, from it, a business standpoint, it makes sense. Yeah, okay, but here's my biggest problem with it, and it's just like Google and YouTube, the people that we're utilizing right now. There are, too, there are too many monopolies already. Why in the world would the state of Alabama, let's just say the state of Alabama said nobody but me can represent someone in a divorce in Alabama. Well, hell, I'm going to be the richest lawyer in Alabama. Um, why, would they, why would we give them a monopoly on anything? Well, wait a minute. Let me be the, let me be the devil's advocate here, okay? What has the state done to prove to us that they can do anything on this issue? We've been 20 years talking about a lottery, and we don't have it. Every state around us has it. That's because the, that's because the gaming interests outside of this state have poured money mm-hmm. into here to make sure we didn't have it. Okay, exactly. okay. well, let's exactly. say that's true. Let's say that's true. My position is this. Okay, this is what the Indians put up. The one thing I would like to see is a guaranteed education lottery that the that the politicians could not touch. But this is the first step. So if you think you can do better, the state, then come back and do something. But most likely what's going to happen is that the whole issue will just fizzle out because no one can come to a conclusion. There's too much money at play. This will not fizzle out. This will be, there will be votes on it. It will be tight. I suspect it will pass. All right, we'll see. I'll just. Well, your governor has said that she wants a legislative solution to this. And I think she just said that a few and days ago. And they own ago. half said, the legislature. <laughs> they own half the so, legislature, man. Well, well that's, so that's good. I mean, if, if you want if a legislature, you're Paul, if you're me that thinks, yeah, hey, let's have a gaming commission. Let's have table games in Alabama. But let's not have it. Let's not make a deal with some folks who we have no control over. Quite literally, well, here, have no control here's, over. Here's the thing. Any kind of gaming expansion, any kind of massive casino gambling initiative on the part of the state of Alabama is never going to happen. Alabama is too conservative. There are too many pulpit voters there. Mm -hmm. And pulpit voters are going to be led to not vote for any sort of gambling at all. I like that, pulpit voters. You know, you've got a state that's full of, that's, that's, so incredibly red you think everybody has what joe rogan calls nine volt brain <laughs> you know they're, they're just they're just wired to do things a certain way and nothing is ever going to come it would be like having a monopoly on machine gun stores in california nobody's ever going to vote it in so who cares who has the monopoly on it right yeah. if the if the if the porch creek indians can come up with an idea that says look this will generate possibly a hundred million dollars a year in gaming revenue, of which we'll give you 25% of every year in perpetuity, that's $25 million that the state of Alabama is basically just getting willed every year. And if they now, had had that for the last 20 years, think about it. Well, I think they'd all they'd have spent it all on building statues and Nick Saban, <laughs> personally. But the Bron- uh, bronze statues. Bron- yeah, While bronze he's still statues. a coach. Only Alabama. But, the, uh, yeah. but I mean, that's that's the kind of 
want to, I mean, how the state spends the money is a completely separate issue that we could have about a nine hour podcast on, I think. But the fence of it is why not support a monopoly when you know that this is the only organization that can make this happen? There's no other organization in the country that can bring in casino gaming to the state of Alabama. A, because the voters are too conservative. B, because the competing states are right next door to you. Right. And they're not going to say, we, we're, you know, you're going to get that money. Look at the, uh, what's his name, the, uh, the the Senator Giles or whatever that, that put together this this little anti-Porch Creek Indian group. Right. Where have they been for the last two weeks? Right. Hadn't heard a word. I, you hadn't heard a word. Their website doesn't even work anymore. You know why? Because I stand by my initial, my initial uh, prognostication on that in that the Porch Creek Indians may have partially funded that movement just to get press traction on this proposal. <laughs> I, nothing would surprise me. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about a subpoena that I got this week um, a, uh, in the case of, and uh, we've already talked about it once, Paul. Um, the Paula Donardi and the McSherry case right. in uh, Fairhope, yeah. Yeah, so... so uh, you might have noticed, uh, those of you that are watching, uh, where they denied that this happened, we're sh- showing a little bit of the video at the bottom of the screen, and it's over and over and over again, so maybe people understand that it did happen. Yeah, I don't see anything. That, so, so the allegation is it's a, compl- a political conspiracy to prosecute Mr. McSherry. Right. Is there, is there I, I guess, the theoretical defense? So it's been a long time since I've pulled out gambles on evidence in Alabama, um, but I have uh, I've drafted a motion to quash, and we'll be filing that soon. Um, obviously, um, there are a lot of uh, attorney-client privileges, uh, the, uh, a privileged information they've asked for, and of course, it was either it's either a privileged communication between me and my clients, or it's work product in anticipation of trial. So either way, it's undiscoverable. Uh, at least that's going to be uh, my position in my motion to quash. And that'll be my position as well because uh, uh, you're my attorney. But you and, haven't been subpoenaed yet, have you? No, I, I've, I've been neglected by them, but I'm sure that they're going to find me sooner or later. Okay? Yeah, and, you know, and, and you know, here's the thing. I, I had to call the general counsel of the Alabama State Bar, get some guidance from them. Rule 1.6 relates to uh, of the rules of professional conduct that – I always rattle off 7.2 at the top of the show. But 1.6 deals in particular with the attorney-client relationship and and what is privileged. And, of course, Mr. Gamble's done a good job for us. So, um, But but as an attorney, you have been subpoenaed as attorney, so now you're having to go through all of this. Ain't nobody paying me to fool this thing. Right. And all all you did was have a couple of clients come to you. So uh, we'll have to see where this goes. All right. Speaking of Joe Rogan, we have a we have a clip. Are you ready to roll it, Nick? <coughs> Go for it. Precisely what he was talking about when he said drain the swamp. Now this is the swamp. This sort of this sort of convoluted world of influence. Well, and, yes and no. The swamp. Yeah, but it's also money and all the other things that he didn't drain. And he actually brought in people that were. He made the swamp 
Swamp here. Way, it's filled with malaria and crocodiles. <laughs> like, like the, I always, we don't even define things, unfortunately. We don't have the same baseline, unfortunately, in this country of what, what words mean. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought what that meant was government uh, corruption, that the private sector is influencing government, because, and, and the way that they obviously do it, the system that we have is, you have to get money from wealthy people and wealthy interests, and then you have to advocate for them. Whatever the interest is, you have to, or they won't give you more money. Question? Yeah. All right, we're back. So, Reigns, sum it up for me. What is the swamp? Well, I'm going to give an answer that is not terribly popular. Surprise, surprise. But, um... The swamp, when people talk about draining the swamp, and that's been, that's, and I hate even using that term because that's a, that's the main campaign slogan of, of, of the current administration. Uh, the swamp that they ran on, as I understand it, is the Washington insiders, the man with the, the men with the clipboard on the sidewalls who don't ever say a word. They're the ones actually running Washington politics. That it's the lobbyists. That control our laws. It's it's the it's the, the oligarchy of this country is what they refer to as the swamp. This country is as close to a democratic oligarchy as any country you'll find in the in the world. We are ruled by corporations through political lobbyists. And one of the things that the current president said is that we're gonna we're gonna stop all that. We're gonna make it where you know we're draining that swamp, we're getting rid of old Washington, and here comes the new Washington. So, my I'm personal t- opinion, yeah, my my personal opinion, we are the swamp. We're the problem. Every person in this country, every voter, every constituent is the swamp because the average American voter doesn't have the wherewithal to understand exactly how deep it goes. And I'm not a deep stater. I'm not one of those people, but I'm here to tell you this government is controlled by companies. It is an oligarchy, and it's been an oligarchy since the Eisenhower administration. And we Citizens United because, decision. Well, no, Citizens United, I think, was, was just a, a, a nail, one of many nails in the coffin of this country. Whenever, you know, whenever they signed executive orders— in the late 1950s that said defense contracts do not have to come under public review and all Senate and house appropriations bills to defense contractors are no longer subject to public hearings as part of the war powers act that that closed the door on it. And Eisenhower's thoughts on the military industrial complex ending up running this country are absolutely true, except it's not the military industrial complex. It's just the complex. So have you ever seen, there's a movie with Frazier from, from Cheers in it, uh, Kelsey Grammer, where he plays yeah. a defense, uh, one of the general, a one-star general at the Pentagon, and the hero of the movie is uh, a guy who was an Auburn graduate, an Air Force guy, and it's all about the billions pissed away on the Bradley fighting vehicle. Yeah. Have oh, you ever absolutely. seen it? Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it is the epitome of what the heck's wrong with the defense contracting industry anyway. But there, I wanted to bring, wrong on that. I wanted to bring this back to something local so that people can understand what oh, wow. the swamp now, is. Now, locally, you, when you get through, uh, locally, I'll chime in yeah, on the swamp. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you, a, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little Easter egg hunt. You can go over to, uh, well, 
Catawba Land LLC. They sold a thousand acres of the mega site, and uh, I don't know if I can turn around and point to it, but it's the the shaded area up there north of Baymanette on our map behind us. Um, sixty five to seventy percent of it is wetlands. Um, the year the county bought the land, it was appraised at less than five hundred dollars an acre. So, Paul, how much how much per acre do you think they paid for this? Acreage. Uh, I know the total was about six million plus. Sixty three hundred an acre. Sixty three hundred. Uh huh. And why should you care? Because now you literally own a swamp, the citizens of Baldwin County. Yeah. And um. So the question is: Is who are the owners of Catawba Land LLC? If you go over to our Facebook page, the Articles Incorporation are there. And you can read all of the names. And I'll just say this. There's a park in town named for one family. And there's a a college named for another one. Swamp. Well, You want to talk about a local swamp? I don't even need to read the article. This is how confident I am in this. And I'll give it a local spin. If you go down to the corner cafe where Paul gets his coffee every other day, and you go down there at 7.30 in the morning, and there's a group of men sitting around a table, and most of them are wearing neckties, and maybe a third of them aren't. That's the swamp. <laughs> you go to the Rotary Club meeting, you go to the Rotary Club pancake breakfast and support that and shake hands with everybody, that's the swamp. Okay. You go to church, the board of deacons, the board of trustees for your church, those are the guys that drink coffee with those same fellows at the coffee shop. That's your swamp. Right. And because you... As a citizen of that county, you're still glad-handing them. You're still patting them on the back because every now and then somebody will donate a truck to a mission or somebody will uh, write a check to the Red Cross or somebody will go on TV on a talk show and talk about how much they love this or that. You're behind them. And every minute that you're behind them and not sitting next to that coffee table taking notes at 7 o'clock every morning, you're part of the swamp too. Right. And then Baldwin County. In Baldwin County, we got a special name for the swamp. It's called Catalyst. And Catalyst is a political group that in our last election uh, ran a block of candidates, all like-minded, all with the same agenda. These are good old boys connected, like to keep everybody in the loop. So our swamp in the uh, in Baldwin County is called uh, Catalyst. There they are. And you look at the people that are part of that Catalyst group, and when you buy a car from them or you cut their grass, or you show up to their church and put money in the offering plate, you're supporting that swamp. You want to drain the swamp? Drain your tub first. That's correct. That's correct. I I wouldn't buy a car from any of them. So let's watch (laughs) clip number two. Get it ready? You know that you're going to have to uh, play ball. Um, Was that, did you feel like... Let down? Yeah, like almost like, okay, I've been promoting a rigged game because no i know how well i know intimately how rigged the game is it's just that you don't always know where and who the players are now i mean i've done enough right but isn't it you're an honest person you're not you're not a bullshit artist i hope everybody thinks that i do but so if you're a part of a bullshit system right it's almost like you can't to be who you are, you almost like can't be a congressperson. You just nailed the it. system. What exists. you just said almost made me want to cry. Don't be- cry. 
So one of the things I wanted to talk to uh, in, in this segment in particular it, is the Public Service Commission as an institution and what their responsibilities are to the rate payers here in the state of Alabama. So they control the kilowatt hour rate that Alabama Power can charge. The profits go to the Southern Company. The excess, which, like I said, the last time I could find an article about it, uh, there in 2012 they were spending about $20 million on, uh, according to their own reporting now, um, on on lobbying activities. So my question is, and not not only lobbying activities, but any type of public relations. So Paul, why would a public utility that has a monopoly need to change their Alabama Power Company change their branding, right? They change their little symbol on the side of the trucks. They run ads all the time telling us what a great job they're doing. They spread $20 million around the state. And here's what I'm getting at. Typically, um, if there's money at play in the legislature, it came from a private source, right? But here, the Public Service Commission is allowing them to inflate the rate of electricity. So that $20 million goes into the system. Maybe some of it goes back to the Public Service Commission, but certainly all of it gives them a tremendous amount of influence here in the state. And that has been going on forever because the first Alabama Consumer Association was formed by my father in the 70s. <clears throat> and he had been talking um, um, with, uh, what's the national guy that back with the Volts? It's before my time, man. Consumer agency. But anyway. I was riding a bicycle in One of the things that he, uh, even in the 70s and 80s, would complain to the Public Service Commission all the time about was the amount of money that the uh, uh, Alabama Power Company spent on uh, advertising. Because why are they advertising? You can't get anybody but them in, in so many different areas. They had a monopoly, so they're pouring all of this money into advertising at different factions that they don't even need to do, and ultimately the consumer is the one that's paying for that. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just, and that's, that's 30 years ago. That's 40 years ago they were talking about this, and they still do it. They still do it. What would be a good public relations move would be them to say, okay, we'll go cut back millions on the advertising, and we'll drop you rate a little bit. But, nope, we're not going to see that. So, Reigns, um, you can't see what I'm doing here, but. Oh God. That sounds like a turkey call that's to me. That's a turkey call. That's Lynch's world champion turkey call. Um, I think this thing's about 50 years old. But uh, anyway, we're going to do this, and, and, and we're going to make it a regular segment if we can. We're going to show y'all the BS police action of the week. Are you ready to roll that film <laughs> we're, for we're us? We'll follow that with another one, too. So if you noticed when you watched the video, number one, 
the car was nowhere in sight of the police cruiser when the video starts. Um, number two, I've watched this thing about a hundred times. If you go back and watch it again, you'll notice that this guy had been sitting there so long with that wrecker blocking the road that he'd put his car in park because you never see his brake lights come on and you never see, you know, when you, when you run through your gear shifter, your reverse lights will come on for momentarily. Mm-hmm. None of that's on there. So he pulls up behind this car that's blocked by a wrecker across the road and lights him up. Says his probable cause was he saw him before the video. And then, of course, they're riding around filming 4K video in Baymanette 24-7. Um, anyway, he had court Monday night. Uh, they agreed to, uh, well, I won't go into that. But after court Monday night, my client was pulled over again Tuesday night and again Wednesday night. Oh, come on. Come so on. what I'm thinking about doing is uh, getting some body cams and handing them out to these people. Um, you know, this kid's a student. He's tw- he's 20, 21 years old. And um, it, th- this is absolutely, um, I don't want to use the H word, but we're getting there. And I don't know how you would feel if you're, college-age kid was getting stopped by the police all the time, but I wouldn't like it at all. And I don't think yeah. people ought to have to put up with it. But Baymanette wins the prize you, this week. You get stopped that many times. That's crazy. Well, uh, another thing that's uh, kind of related to breaking the law is uh, another article that's in uh, Lanyap. It's called On the Lamb. This is, again, by Gabe Times. And it's Baldwin County Sheriff's Department incarcerated the burglary suspect on uh, who had dodged them multiple times. The suspect was 34-year-old Joseph Reed of Foley, and evidently he'd been going up and down uh, uh, Fort Morgan Road in different places, uh, hitting different uh, areas. But the last paragraph I thought was <laughs> was a little bit uh, funny, and that is the news release said Reed may face additional charges from multiple law enforcement agencies and noted the arrest was made possible with the assistance of the police departments of Gulf Shores and Foley. The United States Marshals Service, the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's Air Unit, the Canine Unit, and the Alabama Department of Corrections and also contributed was the public social media. <laughs> was public social media. Now, Folks, this is one guy that took all those people to catch. Do you know that Mike Hubbard is still one three two two gone to jail? One thousand three hundred and twenty-two days. He's out of jail. One thousand two hundred and thirty-two days. No political corruption. No white collar crime. Nobody goes to jail. That's why we're known in this area as number one in public corruption. Uh, no conflict of interest. No. Uh, uh, ethical ethics by uh, uh, judges or individuals, if they know that it is the slightest bit legal and they can push it through, they will. So, Reigns, uh, if you if you check out my Twitter feed, um, you'll see that I shared a uh, an article that uh, was put out by some producers at A and E, you know, Arts and Entertainment, which has yeah. turned into like midget doctors and whatever other stuff right. that regular people don't watch. Oh, yeah, but they anyway, have. they have a new reality show and um 
they're going into the Etowah County Jail. So it was some deal that, you know, the, the, so I was in Etowah County for, I was their chief executive officer for right at three years. Um, the sheriff at the time was the big British sheriff, uh, in the state, uh, James Hayes. And, um, you know, they, they overbuilt the jail. There, there've been numerous articles about this jail in particular because they're housing, um, immigration and naturalization service prisoners or ice prisoners. Um, they get a particular amount of money per day per prisoner. And, um, so anyway, the folks at A and E, there were six of them that went undercover. Three of them made it the 60 days. It must've just been real bad. So apparently heads are going to roll and the sheriff who agreed to this, I think is a little more embarrassed than he thought he was going to be because, um, I think when all this comes out, it's, it's going to prove out that it's, it's, there's a lot more going on in there than we had any idea. And, of course, his predecessor, um, now, the Gadsden Times wrote a series of articles about this back in 2004. This is how long I've been dealing with these sheriffs, right? So yeah. um, what would have happened if we'd have done something about it in 2004? How many millions of dollars could have been diverted from sheriff's pockets back into the needs at the jail or, or, or any any public use? Um, but, of course, his uh, the, the guy who followed uh, James Hayes was uh, Sheriff Todd Intrican, who uh, I know Todd. Uh, he was the chief deputy when I was there. And, of course, he is the one that's not now known as the infamous Beach House Sheriff who screwed yep. it up for everybody? Thanks, Todd. Um, but anyway, I just I, I wanted to run that over with you, and uh, certainly encourage everyone to keep up with that story because I would imagine they're going to be looking for some new corrections officers and maybe even a chief of corrections up there at the Etowah County Detention Center. I'll share with you a uh, a little anecdote from my personal history, and this was a story that's buried so far back. Is this your Taylor salad story? <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, it's close. Uh, I, I covered a, uh, I covered uh, major crime in courts in Jackson and Harrison County, Mississippi for a number of years. And I showed up to a crime scene and I was as a regular at crime scenes as any of the detectives or heavy badges, as they call them, in any department on the coast. And I was pretty well known for just about everybody. You know, I show up, I'm wearing a press badge and everything else. And, um, there was a, a triple homicide in a small community just across the river from y'all. And uh, I showed up there and I was talking with the detective who was in charge of the case. I'm outside the yellow tape. I was always very courteous that way. And he pulled me up under the tape and a deputy came over and uh, asked us, I need your name. You know, they log in everybody that comes into a crime scene. And I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I said, my name's Rains Russian. And, he, and he's like, who are you with? I was like, well, you don't know? He said, no. I said, I'm with the CIA. <laughs> he said, oh, all right. And later in the press release that they sent out, and it jogged my memory of this story, <laughs> talking about the interagency cooperation on that arrest in Dawson on Fort Morgan Road, was they said uh, elements of the uh, Jackson County Interlocal Drug Narcotics Task Force, the Jackson County Sheriff's Department, the Biloxi Police Department, the ATF, and the Central Intelligence Agency contributed to this investigation. Uh, and the de Department of Defense drone that they dispatched to follow the guy until they all got there. They, they actually wrote me down as CIA. I couldn't believe that. I'm not CIA. I'm with the press. That was a fun press release to read. All right. Well, next we got a uh, 
article again, and this is at a Baldwin, uh, well, Baldwin Lanyap, probably in Lanyap as well, unlawful detainer, and it's by Gabe Times. This uh, uh, is uh, centered around Judge William Scully's courtroom here in Fairhope. And uh, most of these cases that he hears, or some of them, are uh, to dealing with the Residential Landlord-Tenant Act. Most all of them are like that. Since 2014, more than 4,400 people have been subjected to eviction orders, and only 4% of those are ever successful in um, uh, defending themselves in court because, first of all, they don't know the Residential Landlord-Tenant Act Second, they haven't read their contract. And third, they don't have an attorney. Um, and um, let's see, it's very seldom, uh, uh, Judge Scully said that it's very seldom that a tenant will show up with counsel. Again, that's what we've been telling you. Yet according to the data, over 4,421 people unlawfully detainer cases settled in Baldwin County between January 1 and 2014 and July 29 of 2019. Only 72 ended up with a judgment favoring the defendant, which represented 1.7%. Now, you do have alternatives. Uh, Norman Roman, an attorney with the Legal Services of Alabama, uh, works pro bono, especially on these eviction cases. So if you qualify, um, uh, you can reach out to that agency and maybe they can work out something with you in representing you. One thing that uh, I do want to throw in there about unlawful detainers are that they are given priority in district court. And from the time you file them until the time they're set for trial, that's a very brief period of time. Yeah. Don't think that somebody's going to file an unlawful detainer and it's going to be set 90 days out and you got time to go consult with an attorney. They happen fairly quickly. And they're designed to because you're holding up someone's rental property and they're not making any money right. on it. Correct. Correct. Right. And 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 uh, uh, Mr. Roman went on to say that it's a challenge to see people in a situation. I think a lot of people facing eviction go unrepresented and, uh, unrepresented and have no idea what's going on. But there are things to be done, and we do it at no charge, he said. For more information, you can try Legal Services of Alabama, 251-433-6560. But I recommend to you that to just stop paying your rent because you're not satisfied with the landlord is not the route to go. No, and and oh, I think yeah. we've got a graphic it's of the Alabama landlord-tenant law up. Is that right? Or is it on our Facebook page? Facebook page. It's on the I Facebook think. page. Yeah. So anybody that's interested in and it was major <clears throat> legislation when it came out in 2004, I want to say, the – Alabama Uniform Landlord-Tenant Law. And, uh, of course, when we talked to Cam Ward a few weeks ago, um, he was part of a committee who adopts these uniform codes and recommends them to the legislature. And I know this is where one of those came from. And, of course, it's been tried in every other state for many years, which means that uh, Alabama was probably the last one to adopt it. So it, the tires have been kicked on it. It's been on the books for a while, and you need to get familiar with it. That little pamphlet that uh, Legal Services put out is informative, but I think it may be dated. I think there was some updates in 2018. So um, uh, another resource that you may or may not know about is the Alabama Volunteer Lawyers Program, and um, I participate in that from time to time, um, typically not on, on – uh, 
items like that. But um, but they do have uh, attorney real estate attorneys who volunteer and um, potentially could help you out. So so look them up there or Google them or whatever. They and because I have experience in this particular court, I will tell both of you. And Harry, you don't have to respond to this because of the the bar, but there is a small delaying tactic you can use if you are forced into a hearing setting under an eviction notice. If you are forced into an eviction hearing and you do not have the money or the time to retain counsel, you can file a writ of pro se review for all court materials and cases. You're basically declaring that you're representing yourself and you can file for up to, in the state of Texas, up to a 90-day time period to review the contents of counsel opposite's case. That can give you time to retain an attorney, to review it with your attorney, and slow down the process. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody who just missed their rent payment and they're just trying to come up with it. But I had to go to court. I had to go to a hearing on that because I lived in an apartment complex that automatically filed under their corporate structure. They automatically filed an eviction notice if you're two weeks off, off on your rent. And I was in a, uh, <clears throat> I had my debit card had been compromised in the Target uh, data breach many years ago. And so my debit card had gone offline and I had set it up to auto pay. And I didn't even think about it. And when my credit card went offline, I got served with an eviction notice that said I hadn't paid my rent. Now I had to appear because I would have been contempt if I had not. I had to appear and I didn't feel like getting an attorney. So I filed a writ of pro se review and they gave me 90 days. And I went back to my company and said, Hey, here's what the screw up was. They said, all right, no worries. And 90 days later I went to court and the charges had been dismissed. (laughs) So that's a viable tactic. Now, Harry can't advise you to do that, but I can just look at what the law says. No comment. Uh, (laughs) You want to get the last item here? Well, I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about something since we did touch on my employment in Etowah County and the fact that I was employed prior to that in Conecuh County as the county administrator. Um, and the fact that I've been, I don't know, uh, since September 19th or so, um, I've had to uh, suffer the indignity of being searched whenever I go in and out of one of the buildings where I practice my art, if you want to, or my profession um so and and i think this is a little ironic rain so what if i told you that i used to be on the courthouse security committee in both uh Connecticut and etowah counties well, you so does that does, does that make it even more absurd um what's going on here in no. your mind no you're in baldwin county well, yeah, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home, partner. Uh, yeah. All right. You want to get to the last one there? Yeah, go for it. All right, people. Hang on. This is about Fairhope, and uh, this is something that I've been following for quite some time. The first part of it is the city council uh, agenda. And uh, I've noticed this for years. Under three or four administrations, I've made note of it. Never gets, I see it pop up again and again. And that is that number five on the uh, agenda is a final adoption of an ordinance. And it is amending a zoning ordinance 
uh, and it mentions the people's names. It says who the people are and what they're trying to change the one uh, zoning to another. And then number six, the next one is a final adoption. It's an ordinance from uh, single tax corporation, and they're planning on uh, another planned unit development. Gives the names of the individuals and everything. Then we get to number seven. And number seven reads an ordinance, amend ordinance number 1253, request to zone the property of Gay for Village Partners, Inc., as planned unit development, PUD, concurrent with annexation. The property is generally located on the west side of State Highway 181 between Gayford Road and Fairhope Avenue, Fairhope, Alabama, known as the Clump PUD, PPIN number 24160, da-da-da-da-da, parcel containing 75.93 acres, more or less, introduced at the council meeting October 28th, 2019, city council meeting. What is not in there? What is not in there is that this is a project uh, by the municipal judge of Fairhope. The municipal judge of Fairhope is appointed by the city council. Why is this final adoption in here without identifying who the people are that are doing this? Sometimes they have these projects and they'll have a PUD and it'll have an LLC. Well, you don't know who it is. You have no idea who it is. In this case, we find out it's the municipal judge that's going to be involved now as a developer for the largest project in Fairhope, which is going to be approved by the city council who appointed him. Now, last week we had Friends Without Benefits that was uh, written in Lanyap with, um, by Gabe Times, and it talked about uh, uh, Mr. Snedeker's partner Hicks and the complication that they had at the airport. And then uh, there also mentions uh, Councilman uh, Robinson and his conflict that he has, Councilman Boone with his conflict. And to be honest with you, every single council person has multiple conflicts with the judge. They personally uh, are very, very good friends with him. They're uh, Jack Burrell, Mr. Burrell, who's a council president, uh, he was involved in the scandal at the airport, and this was basically over a uh, lease that he was over uh, awarding to uh, Snedeker while Snedeker's partner, Mr. Hicks, was on the board. Well, being on the board should have eliminated all of that, but it didn't. But now Mr. Burrell has a police report, which has come out since he was elected the last time, and Did he appear in front of Judge Snedeker? And also, there's two juvenile charges that are on there that are sealed. Those haven't been explained either. But the Snedeker connection to the council is overwhelming. Now, the other part to this is that what about the connectivity? Remember, we talked about the connectivity and the connectivity master plan workshop where the parks, uh, national park, service is trying to do the connectivity in the town you see articles about this what part of connectivity is gonna this gonna be okay this was this this project is like 230 apartments 16 commercial lots and 70 something houses or 60 something houses when you look at it it looks like an 11 year 11th grader just made a block map of here's the apartments here's this here's that 
this is supposed to be in a village concept in a village area. It's not, it's not going to look like a village, okay? So there's other issues with it. But the biggest conflict of interest, what we've been talking about, and also, also the judicial ethics. This is a judge now that's a, that is going to be the developer. So the other thing that comes to mind with this project that's all wrong, and we call this project the corridor of chaos because I can assure you when all of this starts, it's going to be a mess because Gafer and Fairhope will be the in and out for the entire project with nobody going on to 181. Now let me tell you what that entails. By not turning on to 181, they don't have to allow, they don't have to tell the state certain things that they're doing for instance at the Publix at 98 at the Publix at 98 and Parker Road in Fairhope has been complete screw up with traffic for the last three or four years seven people or eight people have been killed there now the original plan called called for different types of connectivity in and outs there and everything else. What they have now is that the developer did not mitigate the road up there and the intersection is overwhelmed. You have Aldot and the county who are working with people, I'd say, quite cooperatively. But the city, there's not even any... Uh, uh, walking lanes or anything across the highway there. This is going to be the same thing that happens at this project. But the, the basis of this project is, are we now really going to be so blind that we sit back and we are, allow a council to convince us that there's no conflict of interest, that there's no violation of any ethical rules, and all of this is perfectly fine for the judge, developer, to be approved by the council to do this. Now, I'm one that really does not like to hear anybody complain and bitch about something and not have a solution. The solution to this is the judge resigns and then goes on and becomes yeah. a developer. That, to me, is the solution. Uh, if, if they vote them in and they vote for this unanimously, and one thing that should happen is that every single council person should be required to vote on this. So where every consumer, everybody in town knows exactly how their council person voted on this right here, and they can remember that in the next uh, election. Uh, there is the traffic study. There's no traffic study. Nothing's been done on this at all. And they're going to go. Now, one of the things that I always see from developers, too, is uh, this is right on the line of Fairhope. And so a uh, uh, developer judge, whatever, is saying that uh, they want to be annexed into the city. And if here comes the thing that they all do, all of them do, RSA, all of them. Well, if you don't let us do our project, if we can't come into the city, well, then we'll do the project anyway. Listen, folks, guarantee you they wouldn't do this project unless they knew they were going into the city because all they have to do is plug into the sewer, plug into our infrastructure and everything else. So we're in a community right now that can't keep up with its own infrastructure, and we're adding, I think it was at last count, 860 apartments and almost 860 houses that are 
being constructed, already approved, or on the final stages of being approved. So on November 25th, this is going to be the crossroads of ethics, if you will. We're going to have to watch and see, and we certainly will be telling you next week how they uh, how they handle this uh, final adoption. Now, I'm going to guess, because I know the way that politics work around here, is that they're going to have a spokesman there that's going to have a letter, and this letter is going to come from somebody that's supposed to tell us that it's all okay. You know, it'll be from the Ethics Commission or someone or some attorney or something, and it'll be trying to convince us that there's nothing wrong with this at all. So we'll see just how gullible the citizens of uh, Fairhope are. The corridor of chaos and is going to be a traffic nightmare in years to come, and the uh, Parker panic intersection there is already a nightmare and they have yet to open one apartment so do we know (laughs) so i have a question all right and it's a pertinent question uh is the developer tom mitchell from baymanet uh stewart contracting uh I'm not sure who the con. It doesn't list. It doesn't tell you anything. Well, yeah, we know that this it is says, Hicks and Snedeker. That uh, uh, Hicks and Snedeker are the ones that uh, have been listed as the developers on there or owners. Okay, well, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that one of the one of one of the partners in the development was Tom Mitchell. Right. And and just full disclosure, I broke this arm on his son's. Uh, uh, Three wheeler Christmas Day 1982. Um, Mister, is that me or you? Where are we going? That it? That's Paul's phone. No. Oh, so uh, sorry. That's our phone. We I, thought we were getting keyed I, in for something else. We didn't know what was going on. <laughs> anyway, um, Mister. Uh, so broke my arm on his three wheeler in eighty two. We were lost at sea together for about thirty minutes. We went on a dive trip and got there was a rip tide and we got separated from the dive boat. And I just clung to him because I knew he had a big life insurance policy. Got to watch until, him rip tide. until we were found <laughs> out there. So yeah, uh, and I'm not sure that that's him, but uh, I, I can just say this. Um, and Stewart Construction Company gave me my first job when I was 14 years old. Um, I can tell you they're they're quality people and they're and and, and good people. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not questioning uh, the uh, some of the people involved. What I'm questioning is I, I understand how, your how much problem are we gonna... is the component Correct. of the judge being involved I, I mean, in a project where. Town's bursting at the seams. Right, I, I and, and your and your your code of ethics is saying stay away from any controversy, stay away from anything that jeopardizes you and puts you in a position. You have a public doctrine. People that are elected to office and are appointed are held a little bit higher than the general public, and they should not be involved in these projects so like what, this. What does tenant two say? Do you have it in front of you? Tenant two. Tenant two. No. Oh. Um. Well, that deals with the 
perception of impropriety. Co- correct, correct, correct. That, that's what I'm getting at. Correct, correct, correct. And and we have a lot of issues with that, and we also have a lot of issues with people getting off the reservation in, into political activities. I, I mean, we're sitting here talking about this, and we're looking at articles in the paper that are talking about conflicts of interest with judges' JIC complaints being filed. So all of this is coming down at the same time, and then we have a judge in another part of town that's going to be doing this. I well, don't get it. You know, just having a complaint filed against you, that's that's neither here nor there. Let's wait and see. Well, that's definitely. Let's let these people do their jobs. Oh, well, okay, good. And and uh, I will be first to say that we will let them read the complaint, but I'm telling you that uh, I'm not going to lose any sleep expecting them to do anything but deny it. I've never seen a complaint honored, and like I said, Hubbard's still out walking around, and that's why things are getting as bad as they are. So I, I, Paul didn't bring his gavel this week, and he won't use mine because it says on it, in recognition of your support for President Bush and the Republican Party, <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't think so. So, Reigns, we appreciate you pitching in, man. Um, I think we're about to wrap Always this thing story. up. Um, how how are things well, out in Texas? Well, they're being rather Texan. We're going camping this weekend with the Cub Scout troop and drive up to the Lake Houston Wilderness Camping Area. And have so, nice Chuck E. Cheese hell. I get it. Is yeah, it, yeah we should get hell. into that. I'm about to. I don't know if you can hear the screams in the background. I'm not at a death camp. I'm actually at a public school. About to check him out early. Take him home. I would just say to everybody out there listening, give a like and subscribe to Backstory Scott Podcast on Facebook, YouTube. Check us out on uh, Twitter. I'm paying attention to Twitter today because I'm waiting to see what the old hawk John Bolton has to say about uh, since he didn't testify in front of the impeachment inquiry. I think he's going to testify on Twitter later this afternoon if he can figure out how to work his phone. Uh, Keep your tub drained before you drain the swamp. Make sure you do that. By God, tune in next week where we'll give uh, our ad hoc political reporter, Gabe Dines, his uh, performance review for the year because we use his content so much. Um, Tune in for that. We'll uh, we'll give you a right and wrong. And uh, just, you know, pay attention. Read a newspaper. Watch your evening news. See what's going on. Be informed in your society. And by God, if you're not registered to vote, shut the hell up. And get involved. Get involved or shut up. Right. All right, boys and girls. We'll see y'all next time. Give me that good outro music, that new stuff. I like it. (laughs) We'll see y'all next time. Thank you. All right.